Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, hello. Hey there, friends. How you guys doing? Today on the show... I'm going to be talking about something that I think most people can relate with. Has there ever been a time where a friend came to you and a good friend, by the way, because this friend is bringing you new music, but they bring you a new band to listen to and they start playing it and you don't really get it at first. It doesn't really resonate with you. For whatever reason, that band just doesn't really hit you in the feels. You don't really connect with the music. You don't connect with the melodies. Maybe you don't connect with the words or you don't really love how the singer's voice sounds at the beginning. That's what today's episode is going to be all about. I'm going to list five bands that upon first listen for me, I didn't quite get it. I didn't understand the genius of the band that I was listening to at the time. But the fun thing is I've since revisited all of these bands later in life within the last 20 years and have come to absolutely adore and love this band. I know a lot of people can relate with me because I have conversations like this with my friends all the time. They'll ask me, when was the first time you heard this band? And if it's a band that I didn't really connect with upon first listen, I'll usually tell them about that. And then invariably we get into a conversation about other bands that maybe we just didn't jive with right out of the gate. And it's fun to revisit music, but I was talking about this with Ben Went the other day. Sometimes in the age of streaming, I love it because it gives us the capacity to listen to so much music, but whenever it hits Friday and new music comes out, I find myself not giving it as much time and as much effort as I used to because when you used to go to the record store and for whatever reason you picked up a CD and decided to purchase it with a decent amount of money, I remember there was a period of time where CDs cost anywhere between $15 and $25, okay? So if it was a $25 album, you'd better damn well like the band, or at least have a pretty good idea that you're going to like the band and like what they're putting out. But sometimes I would go to CD Warehouse. I remember I really enjoyed going to CD Warehouse, and you'd go to the listening station, and you'd grab a couple of albums that maybe you had never heard or heard things about, and you just wanted to check it out. And sometimes I would pop those CDs in, and maybe it wouldn't hook me immediately, but it was such a low barrier to entry because a lot of those CDs would end up being three to five bucks. So it was less of a gamble. So there's a few albums that I remember purchasing at CD Warehouse and it forced me to listen to them multiple times, not only because you're listening to it in the car and it's repeating and it's harder to switch it out, especially while you're driving, but your attention span, it lended to the idea that you had to spend a little bit more time with albums. And so sometimes albums can be a slow burn. Sometimes albums can take a minute to really enjoy and soak up. I remember 
remember listening to Bleed American. I've got an episode, previous episode on Bleed American. And I remember immediately getting connected to a couple of the songs that I heard right out of the gate. But a couple of the slower songs, a couple of the more experimental, sprawling, slower jams, those took a little bit of time to kind of work with, to really enjoy. But slowly but surely, that album became one of those albums where I'd spend two weeks with one song, and then I'd spend a week with another song, and then I'd spend another three weeks just listening to one song and just reveling in its brilliance. I miss that. I miss that you have to spend time with albums and really work to love them and then they become a part of you and then it's just something that you refer back to often and you build that nostalgic relationship with it okay so I'll quit jabbering I want to go down the list of five bands that I didn't immediately connect with that I didn't immediately hear the brilliance in and so the first band and I know a lot of people are going to be shaking their head with disgust and trust me I get it because now I look back and I think wow you were dumb and there was just so many years where you could have spent loving this band and really diving into their catalog as it was coming out. The first band that I want to mention is none other than Alkaline Trio. Yes, that's true. Alkaline Trio. Alkaline Trio is an American punk rock band from Chicago, Illinois. And since 2001, the band has consisted of Matt Skiba, legendary Matt Skiba. He had a birthday yesterday. He just turned 45. Dan Andriano on vocals and bass, amazing bass player. And Derek Grant, he's been the drummer since 2001. And he was also the drummer of The Suicide Machines, which is pretty damn cool because I was a big Suicide Machines fan when I was a kid and I didn't realize he was the drummer until maybe a few years ago. I remember the first time I heard Alkaline Trio. I remember exactly where I was. I saw them in a tiny club and they were playing a Vagrant Records tour and they played at El Torreon in Kansas City and I remember seeing them and I thought, hmm, it's okay. That's all I thought. Nothing really stood out. They were just very simple. Of course, they're a three-piece. I think I was there to see another band. I think they were playing with Saves the Day, so I was really excited to see Saves the Day and I think I know why this band didn't really resonate with me at first. And I was having a conversation with one of my best friends the other day about this and Alkaline Trio is one of his favorite bands. So he was perplexed as to why it didn't jive with me right out of the gate. I think at the time, around 2000, 2001, I was listening to a lot of faster, more technical skate punk of the Epitaph and Fat Records variety. I was a big fan of Strung Out. I was a big fan of Rufio. I was a big fan of Slick Shoes. I'm a guitar player, so I resonated with the guitars and the riffs. And Alkaline Trio just didn't really have any of that. Now, that's not to demean Alkaline Trio at all. They do have some cool, very iconic guitar riffs, but for whatever reason, I didn't really hear any at that moment, and they just didn't really resonate with me. It was shortly after this show that I saw them open for Blink-182, and it was the same thing. It was an outdoor show. I was on the lawn. I was very far away from the stage. Nothing really sounded all that amazing. They played first. I think we walked up as they started playing, and again, I just wasn't super blown away. I didn't really connect to Matt's voice right out of the gate. He had the lower registry. And I think at that time, my ears were so accustomed to listening to either voices that were trying to be Fat Mike from NoFX or vocals that were trying to mimic Jordan from Newfound Glory. Very high register, kind of nasally Tom DeLonge-esque vocals. And for whatever reason, Alkaline Trio, Matt's voice, Dan's voice, those are on the lower registry as far as their tonality and their voice. And it just didn't resonate with me right out of the gate. But I listen to them now and I understand the brilliance of Alkaline Trio. I absolutely 
adore this band. I've become almost borderline obsessed with anything Alkaline Trio related in the last five or six years. It was around 2014, 2015 that I revisited My Shame is True, and that album came out in 2013 on Epitaph. And I was revisiting a lot of albums that were recorded at the Blasting Room in Colorado, and this was one of them. And I just loved that album. I just soaked it up. And I really love that album from front to back. I don't think there's a bad song on it. I love the song that Tim from Rise Against guests on. I love the first three singles that they released from the album. It's just a good, punchy, rock and roll, pop rock, pop punk record. And it was shortly after that that I revisited Crimson and Agony and Irony, the two major label records that they put out. And that's when I really understood the brilliance and the simplicity of the pop hooks in albums like those two, Crimson and Agony and Irony. I also stumbled across an old compilation that we used to listen to on tour a lot, the first Atticus compilation, and I had forgotten that there was a B-side from Alkaline Trio called Jaked on Green Beers, and that might be my favorite Alkaline Trio song, and it makes sense why that one resonated with me back then, because it's probably their fastest song. Crimson might be my favorite Alkaline Trio record. I know a lot of people are going to think I'm a total poser for saying that because that's the major label record. That's probably the shiniest record. Jerry Finn did it. Rest in peace. But those records in particular have some of my favorite Alkaline Trio songs. And I've since then revisited all of their early material. And I understand the charm of it. Even their very early records with a not so great recording. I listen to those and I think, man, I really should have doubled down and jumped right into this back then because I think I would have really loved it. Green Day is one of my favorite bands. I love their simplicity. But I think towards the end of the 90s, early 2000s, I just wanted to hear some guitar harmonies. I wanted to hear the faster pop punk. I remember watching Alkaline Trio on Warp Tour when we were fortunate enough to play Warp Tour in 2002. And again, it just didn't really resonate with me. I wish it would have because I would have made an effort to try to meet those guys and have a conversation with them back then, which I did not. And I kind of kicked myself for that. But fantastic band. Yeah, Crimson, such a great record. It's astonishing to me that none of those songs landed on Top 40 Radio because they are that shiny and they were that good. The hooks are that good. The choruses are just massive. And I understand why they have a cult following and I'm definitely part of that cult following now. But yeah, when I first heard them, didn't really love them, but now I do. So I'm going to play a song. This song is an easy pick. Time to Waste off their Crimson record. Also, I forgot to mention, I absolutely love Matt Skiba's contribution to Blink as well. I know that's kind of a controversial opinion. And I also really love his solo records, Matt Skiba and The Secret. So if you haven't listened to those, I would definitely revisit them. Matt Skiba and The Secrets, both records are phenomenal. They definitely sound akin to Alkaline Trio. I think that is probably just going to happen since he writes a lot of the songs for Alkaline Trio. I mean, it's very reminiscent of Alkaline Trio, especially the first Secrets record, but man, is it good. There's some bang on that record. Love that record. Okay, so the second band is a band that I kind of kicked myself for not liking and loving immediately, especially back in the late 90s. And they are a band that actually heavily influenced Alkaline Trio. And their drummer, Mike, actually played for Alkaline Trio briefly. And this band is another Chicago band called Smoking Popes. So Smoking Popes are a fantastic pop rock, pop punk band. Their singer, Josh, almost has like a croony voice, similar to Morrissey, but with a little bit more of his own flavor. 
Flair. And I hear the influence when I listen to bands like Alkaline Trio and even Bayside. Bayside, I hear Smoking Popes, the influence within that band. I love Bayside as well. And Bayside actually covered Megan, a great pivotal song by Smoking Popes. I really dug the song J-A-R, Jason Andrew Relva from Green Day. And that song comes from the Angus soundtrack. And I don't know why I never put two and two together, but Smoking Popes has two or three songs on that soundtrack. I love all of them. But for whatever reason, I just didn't really dive in headfirst to their catalog. The late 90s, I was buying all things skate punk. And it may have just been another situation, kind of like Alkaline Trio, like I mentioned before. I wasn't hearing tons of riffs. I wasn't hearing tons of double time beats. So I probably skipped it because of that. The more mid-tempo pop rock, pop punk, especially of the late 90s, mid to late 90s, that's the stuff that I've been revisiting now. And I'm starting to hear the brilliance and just some of the influences for a lot of the bands that I really love now. I can tell they were listening to these bands back in the mid to late 90s. And I'm sure Smoking Popes has influenced hundreds, if not thousands of bands. Love their album Destination Failure. That was on a major label. They got signed to Capitol, so they definitely had some money. And that record still sounds amazing for coming out in 1997. But I think back in the day, I was trying to really get into their material. But for whatever reason, his voice just didn't totally resonate with me. I think I didn't love it after listening to it back then. But I listen to it now and I absolutely love it. I love the croony nature of it. I love his vibrato. I love his delivery, his inflection. And I'm pretty sure Josh from Smoking Popes has perfect pitch because I watch them play live and I've never actually seen them play live in person, but I watch videos of them and they are just phenomenal. They've got some newer recordings of them playing live in their studio, I believe. And it sounds so good. It just sounds incredible. Love watching his live streams as well. He's been doing a lot of live streams. So I'm going to play a song called I Know You Love Me off the Destination Failure record. And this song is amazing. When I started listening to this album front to back, I was obsessed with this song and I sent it to my girlfriend, Pamela. I figured she would love that chorus and she does. It's just a killer song. Should have been huge for whatever reason it was not. But yeah, I love it. And I revisit this album all the time. Also check out Into the Agony, their most recent record. Sounds amazing. It's a great record. Definitely updated with the times. Great lyrics. And yeah. So the next band that I didn't quite get when I first heard them, and I remember hearing them in 2002, we were on tour and we were staying with a lovely person that I'm still friends with named Danny out in California. And she played for me a couple of bands for the first time that I had not heard before that. One was Motion City Soundtrack. So thanks for introducing me to Motion City back in 2002. I think there were demos or something. And the second band, which is the band that I just didn't really love the first time I heard them, and I'll explain why. And it's okay, you can shake your head you can say, Kyle, wow, you have a pop punk podcast, an emo podcast, and you didn't love this band right from the get-go? Yes, I'm going to admit it right here. The first time I heard Taking Back Sunday, I did not get it. And I believe it was for a few reasons, especially now looking back in hindsight. I think one of the reasons I didn't truly get the genius of Taking Back Sunday upon first listen was because, you gotta remember, I was listening to a lot of, and it's not just me, I think this is a lot of people who share my views on this. I was 18 at the time, and at that point, I've been listening to punk rock for a while. And from the late 90s to the early 2000s, production was becoming more and more 
ubiquitous, good production, that is. And vocals were being tuned for the first time. I remember the first time I heard Enema of the State and I heard the vocals, I thought, wow, those sound perfect. And they were. It was the first time producers were using auto-tune and tuning vocals on pop punk records and rock records. Now, the first time I heard Taking Back Sunday, I heard that first song off of Tell All Your Friends. I didn't quite understand the charm of it then because the vocals were just a little bit loose and the recording was just a little bit underwhelming at the time. And of course, they weren't on a major label budget or anything, so the record was independently made. Therefore, they weren't spending a million dollars on that recording. But I just didn't quite get it at the time. It just sounded a little bit too loose for me. And I can understand why a lot of people may have resonated with that immediately. They probably liked the fact that it was a little bit looser. It sounded like a band that was playing live. And there was probably a need for looser music and not the shiniest of production at the time. And that's probably why it did so well in the beginning. But for me, it just didn't quite click. And if you go back and you listen to the episode where I discuss and dissect where you want to be with my good buddy Adam, I mentioned that I didn't quite get Tell All Your Friends, but I did really connect with Where You Want to Be. And it makes sense now that I look back at it because Where You Want to Be had better production and it sounded a little bit more tight and the vocals sounded a little bit more tuned. So at the time, my ears just resonated with that record more, but it wasn't until Where You Want to Be that I then went back and revisited Tell All Your Friends and then fell in love with it, including that first song that I had heard. So I always liked Cute Without the E. That chorus is just undeniable. I remember listening to that and then they started playing it on the radio and I thought, okay, this song is great. This song is definitely catchy. I can understand why people love this song. It's easy to sing. It's easy to get stuck in your head, but there's so many great songs on that first record and it truly is a classic. I go back and listen to that and it was around that 2004-2005 mark that I revisited it and I understood the charm. I understood the brilliance of it and that's when I was a fully fledged Taking Back Sunday fan. So I'm going to go ahead and play that first song that I heard. You know how I do. The next band is another East Coast band, and this is a band I totally didn't get, and in many ways still don't get, because there's a bit of a mysticism surrounding this band. The next band is Glassjaw. When I first heard Glassjaw, I thought it was terrible. (laughs) I remember my friends, they were all into it because it was aggressive and it was loud and it was different, but for me, I thought, what is this? I'm not into it at all. Glassjaw is an American post-hardcore band from Hempstead, New York. The band is fronted by vocalist Daryl Palumbo and guitarist Justin Beck, and they're two of the original members that are still in the band. They've gone through a lot of lineup changes. Genres for Glassjaw, I'd say post-hardcore, alternative metal, new metal even. There's hints of new metal in it. When I first heard it, I heard Worship and Tribute, and I thought it sounded terrible. I thought his voice sounded terrible. I thought he was trying to sound that way, like overly trying, and maybe he was in certain ways, but I just didn't really understand the complexity of the band. I didn't really understand the quirky nature of the band, and and didn't really become a Daryl Palumbo fan until I heard 
Hollywood Head Automatica. And even that one was a bit of a stretch at the time. Dance rock was getting really, really popular. Hot Fuss was all the rage. The Killers were just all over the radio. And I remember thinking, okay, there's going to be several dancey rock bands coming out. And sure enough, there were. Head Automatica was one of them. I don't think they really sounded like The Killers. I kind of think they had their own sound, in part due to Daryl's voice just being so unique. But it wasn't until Head Automatica that I went back and revisited Worship and Tribute. And that's when I slowly started to get it. I think around that mid-2000 mark is when I started listening to heavier bands. There was just a lot of post-hardcore everywhere. And I understood the appeal of post-hardcore. There were a lot of bands in that genre that I liked. I loved Story of the Year, Census Fail, Finch, Hawthorne Heights even when they came out a little bit later. Glassjaw obviously being the more spastic of the post-hardcore bands. And I think they're a band that is a category of one, kind of like Deftones. So Deftones, you know when you hear Deftones. They sound like Deftones. Chino sounds like Chino. That guitar tone sounds very similar to any other Deftones record that you listen to. They just have a very specific sound. And I think Glassjaw is the same way. Whenever I go back and listen to Worship and Tribute, I think only Glassjaw could have made this album. And it wasn't until I revisited it after enjoying Head Automatica that I understood the brilliance of the band. Sure, they're a complex band. And I remember going to see them live. They did a headlining tour with The Used. And I went with my girlfriend and she did not like it. (laughs) It was loud. It was disjointed. It was chaotic. It was all over the place and didn't jive with her either. But that's okay. We can have different opinions. That's totally fine. They're a heavy band. They're definitely a polarizing band for sure. But I go back and I listen to Worship and Tribute and I think, man, okay, this is a band who was just really going for it and they didn't give a shit what was going to be popular or what was popular at the moment. They were just doing what they did. I think that's one of the reasons there's a bit of a mysticism surrounding this band and Daryl in general. I know he's had a lot of health problems over the last 20 years. That's sort of prevented him from touring and really just going after what he wants with his bands. I don't know. He might disagree with that, but it seems as though his health issues have kind of prevented him from really having a full touring schedule and even releasing some of his projects that he's talked about over the years. I'm going to play a Glass Shaw song off of Worship and Tribute now. And if you never really understood them, I'd go back and I'd listen to that record. And if you lift heavy things on occasion, like if you work out, it might be a good time to revisit this record because it is heavy. There's definitely some heavy songs on it. There's some softer songs on it too. And there's a lot of dynamics in the record, but definitely a heavy record. And this is one that I lift to a lot. So the last band I want to mention and highlight today is a band from New Jersey, another East Coast band, emo band called Armor for Sleep. So I have a lot of friends that really love Armor for Sleep and they talk a lot about what to do when you are dead, which that's a great album to revisit. Might be one of my favorite records of all time. That record is amazing, but what I want to talk about is their first record, Dream to Make Believe, which was the record that I was exposed to early on. I remember members of Valencia, when my first band was on tour with them, they were the ones who pointed them out to me and I just didn't quite get it. There was something about the recording that I just didn't love back then. And maybe it was his voice too. It just didn't immediately hook me, but man, I go back and I listen to that first album now. I revisited it maybe, I don't know, maybe six months ago or a year ago. And that's what's so cool about revisiting some of these bands that maybe you just didn't quite give a shot or a true shot back in the day, because I've just fallen in love with this first record. Now, when What to Do When You're a Dead came out, I absolutely adored that record. I thought that was an amazing concept. I listened to that record all the time, loved the recording, loved his voice, loved the kind of 
different, more grungy emo that they were kind of presenting at that time. And the fact that it was such this sprawling concept record and really complex. If you go back and listen to the lyrics, incredible, and read what that record's all about because it's really fascinating. It's a lot of fun. But Dream to Make Believe, also a concept record, sounds amazing. And it's one of those records that I go back and I listen to and I enjoy every song. I think it works best as an album. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe I just wasn't hearing the entire album in sequential order. I was hearing a couple of the songs that they had released on comps and on label samplers and things like that. But I go back and I listen to this record and I think, man, what a record. He definitely had something. Ben Jorgensen, he had some good ideas as far as concept albums. And he was kind of ahead of the curve there because now it seems more commonplace that you have a lot of bands putting out concept albums. But go back and listen to those earlier Armor for Sleep records. Really dive into the lyrics and the concepts behind the albums because it's really fascinating. But Dream to Make Believe, another fantastic record. I'm going to play a song off that record now. Definitely go check it out. All these albums are on Spotify, all the streaming networks. None of them are hidden gems or anything, but they're available and they're all fantastic. Okay, and there you have it. Five bands that I just didn't understand when I first heard them, but I have since revisited. I've learned the error of my ways, and I absolutely love these bands and albums now, and always look forward to new material if they are still a band and they're coming out with stuff. Hoping to see Smoking Popes live at some point. That's the only band I haven't seen live out of this list. Love to see them at some point back when shows are a thing, and we can all go huddle together and listen to music together. Can't wait for that day. If you want to talk to me about any of these bands, or if you want to tell me about a band that you didn't really love right out of the gate that I might be surprised to hear about, send me a message on Instagram. My handle is at Kyle underscore Devlin, D-E-V, V as in Victor, L-I-N underscore underscore. Let's have a conversation about this. I love talking about this stuff. And if there's an album, a hidden gem that you think I would like to listen to and you just want to tell me about it and you want to rave about it for a little bit, shoot me a message because I'm always looking for new music. Okay. All right. Until next time. Hope you guys are having a wonderful time. Wonderful day. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) 